And our reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Have you ever felt like you were meant for something more? Like, even though your life might be going pretty well, that there are like corners of your heart that aren't quite right, and that there's a different kind of life that's available for you. And I'm not talking about things like money or success or power or even romance or family. I'm not talking about the circumstances of your life. I'm talking about an inner life, a quality of life. Um, a, a richness, a goodness, a beauty, a meaning, a power, and a purpose that abides and flourishes regardless of the circumstances of your life. Have you ever felt like you were meant for something more? I spent many years as a young man uh, trapped in alcoholism and drug addiction, specifically to crystal meth. And, um, you know, I was about as uh, lost and hopeless a person as you will ever meet. In fact, some of my friends had a nickname for me. They called me Dark Man. My life was dark. But even in the midst of that darkness, every once in a while, I was haunted by a longing for something more. I remember one night in particular, I was driving about three in the morning in Long Beach, California, on my way to a trailer park to meet my drug dealer. I was listening to an AM gospel radio station, not because I was a religious person, I wasn't, but because I just liked the music. It was a pretty desolate part of town. I remember the empty fields just outside of my car window with some, um, some lonely hills um, uh, off in the backdrop beyond them. But a song came on the radio at that point by the Edwin Hawkins singers. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus washed. When Jesus washed. When Jesus washed, he washed my sins away. When I heard that song, something in the voices of the singers, something in the words, it touched something inside of me. And understand, I was not interested in Christianity. I didn't even know if, 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 if I believed in God, much less Jesus. But when I heard that song, it awakened a longing inside of me for something I didn't even know how to describe it. I still don't know exactly how to describe it. 
I believe it was a spiritual experience. I believe that it was the presence of God reaching right inside my dark, doped up heart to awaken within me a sense of something more, to give me a glimmer of of something good, a light, a joy, a beauty, a, a real life that was available to me and yet I felt like it was utterly, totally beyond my reach and it broke my heart. Have you ever felt like that? We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount And it begins with this passage that Carrie just read for us, which is called the Beatitudes. Now, the first four Beatitudes are all about our spiritual emptiness, lack, and poverty. But in this first, uh, I mean, in the fourth Beatitude, this is the turning point. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is that something more that we were made for, reaching out and touching us. What is it? Jesus calls it righteousness. What does that mean? Well, let's find out by asking three questions. What is righteousness? What does it mean to be to hunger and thirst for it? And how can we be filled? Okay? What is righteousness? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for it? And how can we be filled? Okay? First, what is righteousness? Now, as modern people, when we hear this word righteousness, uh, we have a tendency to hear things like self-righteous or hypocrisy or an arbitrary list of rules for getting into heaven. So we need to do a little deconstruction here because Jesus isn't talking about any of this stuff. What does Jesus mean when he talks about righteousness? Well, first of all, um, the word could also be translated justice. So sometimes scholars will translate this verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. That is a valid translation. And it sounds like Jesus is saying that like he's talking about a justice that is done for you. If you've been hurt or wronged or if you're oppressed, that God will do justice for you. Especially since if you remember that Jesus' original audience was Jewish peasants living under Roman oppression. If they heard Jesus saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, they would have said, yeah, man, that's us. But is that what Jesus is really talking about? We need to dig a little deeper to make sure that we're tracking with Jesus here. Um, In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words that are lurking in the background of the Beatitudes here, especially this Beatitude. These two Hebrew words are words that almost always go together whenever the Bible talks about justice. The first Hebrew word is mishpat. Can we say that? Mishpat. What is mishpat? If you see someone who's uh, oppressed or being treated unfairly, mishpat is the kind of justice that is all about giving people their rights and punishing wrongdoing. Mishpat is justice that gives people their rights and punishes wrongdoing. So it's kind of like what Judge Judy is doing when she lays down her judgments, okay? But the second Hebrew word is the word sadiq which is usually translated as righteousness. The basic meaning of this word tzaddik is right or straight. It's also a very relational word. So there was a brilliant Old Testament scholar named Alec Motier who defined it like this. He said that the righteous are those who are right with God and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. That means um, that this is kind of like what Judge Judy is seeking to accomplish by means of her judgments. So we could put it like this. Sadiq righteousness is what mishpat justice is aiming for. 
In other words, if the world were already full of tzaddik righteousness, there would be no need for mishpat justice because everything would already be exactly right. The world would already be exactly the way it's supposed to be, righteousness. Now here's the big question. Which of these two words is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about a justice done for you? Or is he talking about a justice done by you? Well, technically both, but primarily, primarily, Jesus is talking about a justice done by you. And we can see that's what Jesus means by this word righteousness when we look at the way he uses this word elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount. So for instance, in verse 20, one of the most important verses in the sermon, Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, those are religious leaders, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is obviously talking about a justice done by you, otherwise this verse wouldn't make any sense. Friends, this is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. What does a life of true righteousness look like? The Sermon on the Mount shows us. Now, why is it so important for us to live lives of righteousness? Well, it's because God wants his church to look different. Jesus is giving us a countercultural vision of what it means to live lives of true righteousness and justice so that the whole world can see. But here's the tragedy. We don't live lives like that. We don't look different. In many ways, Christians in America, our lives look exactly like the rest of the world. Our attitude towards money, our consumerism, our political captivity, our hostility towards people who disagree with us, we don't look different. And one of the most blatant examples of this is in much of the church's attitudes toward justice, especially racial justice. So for instance, Michael Emerson is a highly renowned sociologist. He's also a Christian. And he has spent decades now researching and writing about race and religion in America, especially uh, evangelical attitudes towards race in America. So he really knows what he's talking about. He wrote an article recently in which he begins by Uh, telling some stories about a couple of Christians that he's known. The first one is a white pastor who began to see the failure of the church to really address racial justice in the world. This pastor got so bitter and disillusioned that he ended up abandoning his faith. Another story is about a white woman, a professor, and again, she became so frustrated because she was surrounded by Christians who were completely uninterested in racial justice. She too ended up leaving the faith. Here's what Michael Emerson says about that. He says, they represent what I see repeatedly. Christians grow up in faith defined as an individual relationship with Christ. And when they learn that God cares about justice and when they see the whiteness and complicity of the faith they claim, they either become tied tenuously to that faith, mocking many aspects of it, or they leave it altogether. They are too dedicated to justice to stay in the faith. And it's not just whites, people from all racial and ethnic backgrounds. Seeing Christianity as the religion of the white oppressor, they walk or they stay away completely. Now, let's be really clear about something. Human beings cannot be reduced to their racial identity. And human relationships cannot be reduced solely to racial dynamics. The Bible has a far richer, far more complex view of humanity and the world. But to ignore the gaping racial wound in our country, along with all the other hypocrisies of the church, people see that. 
And, and they think, well, why do I need Jesus? The secular world seems to care more about making the world a better place than his followers do. Friends, righteousness is a justice done by you. It's that something more that you were made for, a life of beauty, a goodness, a a rightness about your life in which everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be and which is committed to seeing the world become exactly the way it's supposed to be. And that leads to our second point. We've just seen what is righteousness. It's a justice done by you. But secondly, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, here's where we have to remember something. If you've been with us, you may recall that the Sermon on the Mount comes right on the heels of Jesus announcing that the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God has come near, Jesus says. Now, the kingdom of God is a shorthand way of referring to the main promise of the whole Bible. That is, that one day, God is going to rescue his people from evil, and he's gonna renew the whole world physically, materially, renew the world. But one of the main things that gets renewed in the kingdom of God is not just the whole world, but our hearts. Our hearts are going to be renewed. Um, We said just a bit ago that righteousness is a relational word. And, And the primary relationship that we're supposed to have is with God. But what kind of a relationship is that? When God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai and he entered into what's called a covenant relationship with them. A covenant relationship is a very special kind of relationship. Uh, The closest thing we have in our culture would be marriage. A covenant relationship is when each person promises to be a certain kind of person and to do certain kinds of things because that's what's right or righteous for that relationship. In other words, you behave differently with your friends than you do with your parents. Or you behave differently with a spouse than you do with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or at least you should. But why? Because the nature of the relationship determines what's right or righteous in that relationship. Now, here's why this is so significant for us. Hunger and thirst describes a need. You only hunger and thirst for things that you don't have, right? When Jesus is talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, do you see where this is going? You know, when God brought Israel into a covenant relationship with himself, why is it that they were never able to really live out the righteousness required by that relationship with God? Why is that? Well, it's for the same reason that you and I struggle constantly to be and to do what's right ourselves. It's because there's something fundamentally broken in the depths of every human heart that prevents us from being and doing what's right. But over and over again in the Bible, God is constantly promising that one day he's gonna renew the covenant. He's gonna renew our relationship with him and that means he's gonna renew our hearts. The Bible talks about this in many places. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31. God is constantly saying, I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm gonna place within you a new heart. Friends, the arrival of the kingdom means not just a renewed world, but renewed hearts. But here's the thing. We know deep down in our hearts that there are corners of our heart that are not right and that we don't have the power to fix it. We know that, but we don't wanna know it. We don't wanna look at that. And yet, even so, there are still times when the reality of that truth is pressed so powerfully into our lives that we can't ignore it. And when that happens, there's an opportunity to hunger and thirst for righteousness. One of the most stunning uh, pictures I've ever seen of this recently is from the BBC television show Fleabag. 
It's about a young woman who's burdened by grief and um, tortured by guilt. She's hounded by guilt and she can't get rid of it. She can't fix it. She can't change it. She can't atone for it. All she can do is try to get rid of the pain of it by drinking too much, talking too loudly, um, pretending everything's fine and having lots and lots of sex. At the end of the first episode, Uh, at the end of a horrible day full of rejection, she goes to her father's house late at night and knocks on the door. She's looking for comfort, for help, for some understanding. But her dad is too self-centered and solipsistic to even notice that his daughter is crying out for help. He just looks at her, stares at her and says, "Uh, you know, it's nearly two o'clock in the morning. Ouch. And so she tries to pretend She tries to say, oh, you know what? Everything's fine. Everything's great. And she starts to walk away. But then in a moment of blinding honesty, she says, ah, screw it. She turns around, faces her father and says, I have a horrible feeling that I am a greedy, perverted, selfish, apathetic, cynical, depraved, morally bankrupt woman who can't even call herself a feminist. For for just a moment, the mask comes off. You know what she's doing? She's hungering and thirsting for a new heart. She's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Friends, uh, do you ever long for that? I don't know if you can relate to this at all, especially if your life looks pretty good on the outside. It's really hard a lot of times to relate to someone whose life is such a mess, like hers or like mine. But if there are corners of your heart that you know aren't quite right and that you know you don't have the power to fix them, And if you allow yourself to feel that need, that's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus says, blessed are you. If you ever hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you ever hunger and thirst for a new heart that you know you can't provide for yourself, Jesus says, congratulations. Oh, happy day. Now, how in the world can Jesus say that? Well, that leads to our last point. We've seen what is righteousness. It's a justice done by you. We've seen what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? It means to hunger and thirst for a new heart. But lastly, how do we get filled? If you uh, remember, we said that the first four Beatitudes are all about our spiritual poverty and our spiritual need. But for us as modern Western people, here's the problem. We're so achievement oriented. So we look at these Beatitudes and we think, okay, now how do I go out and actually do this? You know, technically you don't because none of these things are virtues. Poverty is not a virtue. Grief is not a virtue. Starving and dying of thirst, it's not a virtue. Jesus is not saying, now you go out and do these things, and if you do a really good job, then God will bless you. No. The problem, especially with this beatitude, is that we have a tendency to look at things like righteousness and justice and think of them as abstract concepts like love or freedom, or education, or whatever it might be. And so we think, okay, we just gotta go out and do righteousness and justice. But friends, there is no righteousness and justice apart from God. And unless we are filled with the the God of justice, then it's far too easy for us to make a God of justice. So for instance, in that article I was talking about just a bit ago, Michael Emerson goes on to say that um, because of the church's failure to address racial justice, there are really two tragedies. And the first is this. He says, we have a massive swath of the church whose dedication to ignoring and minimizing injustice is straight up evil and causing severe damage. But the second tragedy is the people who leave the faith 
or never meet Jesus in the first place because of our failure. And so here's how Michael Emerson puts it. He says, we have people who have made justice their God, yet another instance of the litany of humanity's idol worship. We have people defining justice as they see fit rather than wrestling with what biblical justice is. Justice is not about domination or identity politics or even getting what is fair. Justice is about realizing right relationships, making right what is broken between us, including, he says, fixing our systems. In the final analysis, though, justice without Jesus is exactly that, just us. And that will never be enough. Friends, do you long for righteousness and justice? Do you long for a new heart? What do we do with all of this? Unless we have the God of justice in our lives, it's far too easy for us to make a God out of justice. What do we do with all of this? How do we actually get filled with the righteousness of God? Well, you notice Jesus says they will be filled. It's the passive voice. That means that God is the one who has to do this. We don't actually fill ourselves. God does it to us and for us. But there are things we can do to um, open ourselves up, to make ourselves available for God to be at work in our lives. And let me offer you just a couple of suggestions. The first is this. We just allow ourselves to feel our need of this. If you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus, we live in a culture that is constantly indoctrinating us to believe that true human flourishing means um, getting in touch with your authentic self and then affirming everything you find there because the most important thing is to always feel good about yourself. But in the Beatitudes, Jesus is turning that on its head because he's saying, look, there are times when it is gonna be necessary and right and good for you not to feel okay about yourself because it's getting you in touch with your deeper need for God. And if you're a Christian, this is even more important for us because it's so easy as Christians to feel like, you know, we graduate to some advanced stage of spirituality and we no longer have this deep need of spiritual renewal that we've graduated, we've progressed. We no longer feel our need of the righteousness of God. We, we feel like we've advanced. Friends, that is so dangerous. We are always in need of spiritual renewal. We are always desperately in need of renewal. One of my favorite authors over the past few years is an Australian pastor named Mark Sayers. Mark Sayers uh, writes and talks a lot about spiritual renewal, and he says something about spiritual renewal that has lodged itself in my heart this year, and I hope it lodges itself in your heart as well. Mark Sayers says that personal renewal precedes corporate renewal. That personal spiritual renewal precedes corporate spiritual renewal. In other words, if we want to see spiritual renewal in our world, in our country, in our city, it has to begin with us. It has to begin with you. It has to begin with me. We have to feel our need of this first. Mark Sayers says that, that we have to uh, experience what he calls a holy discontent. What is a holy discontent? What does that mean? Here's how he describes it. A holy discontent is a deep dissatisfaction with the state of our own lives and the level of our own faith. No longer pointing fingers of accusation outward, we realize our own inadequacy. Grasping that change must begin with us, we cry out to God to change us, to start his renewal in our hearts. What does that even look like? Well, let me tell you a story 
In fact, you can read it for yourself in Exodus chapters 32 and 33. It's um, a story that has meant a lot to me over the years in my own personal experience of um, longing for spiritual renewal because it's a story about spiritual renewal. Um, God rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt and he brought them into the wilderness, but they had only been free for maybe a few months when they rejected God built a golden calf and started worshiping it instead of God. And I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to read that story and secretly feel superior to Israel, to to think to myself, well, I never would have done that. I never would have fallen for that. And yet I do all the time. You see, what happened is they rejected God, but God takes Moses aside and he comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I'm still gonna give the people the promised land. I'm gonna give you military victory, economic prosperity, political success. I'm gonna give you all of that, but my presence will not go with you. And Moses is devastated. He's so devastated that he sets up a tent outside of the Israelite camp, outside of the normal rhythms and routines of his daily life, and he goes out to that tent every day to seek God because he's desperate. He's desperate, and and the situation is desperate. Moses is hungering and thirsting for the presence of God. And so by the end of the story, God is continuing to promise Moses that he's gonna give the people the land, the victory, the success. He's gonna give them all of that. But Moses says, God, show me your glory. Basically, Moses is saying, God, none of that stuff matters if I don't have your presence in my life. Dear ones, there is no new heart. There is no spiritual renewal. There is no righteousness and justice apart from the God of righteousness and justice. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for the presence of God. Do you hunger and thirst for that? Do you know that you need that? Dear ones, how do we get filled with that? Listen, Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God the Father. So when he came to earth as a human being, he always had the presence of God in his life. The reason he came was because he didn't have us. He didn't have you. You know, Moses was devastated by the idea of a life without the presence of God. But Jesus Christ, who always had the presence of God, he was devastated by the idea of a life without you. Because whenever we worship something other than God, no matter how good it is, even something as good as justice, whenever we worship something other than God, it's always a betrayal of God. It always separates us from God and it breaks Jesus' heart. So how do we get filled? How does that get fixed? Remember that we said that mishpat justice is always aiming for tzaddik righteousness. That means that justice has to come down in order for righteousness to be realized in this world. Friends, on the cross, Jesus Christ cried out, I thirst. Jesus hungered and thirsted on the cross. You know what was happening? The true righteous one was losing the presence of God. The perfect, holy, righteous one was being separated from God for us. The mishpat justice of God came down on Jesus so that the sadiq righteousness of Jesus could fill our hearts so that we could be filled with the presence of God. Do you ever long for that? Do you long for a new heart? Do you long for spiritual renewal? Do you long for the Holy Spirit in your life? Friends, it's available to you in Jesus. But understand something. It's a promise that is for the future. It never really 
um, happens completely in our lives. It's, it's, Jesus says they will be filled. We're never gonna be filled completely in this life, but it's available to you right now. So, so if you're longing for that, I would encourage you first, allow yourself to feel that need. And secondly, go set up a tent. In other words, set up a sacred time, a sacred place in your life, outside of your normal rhythms and routines, where you can go to chase God, to seek God. That's one of the main reasons we've set up this prayer room that meets three times a week right now, is because, I don't know about you, but I'll just be honest with you, I have felt so burdened this year about the church's deep, desperate need for God, about my own deep, desperate need for God. I felt so burdened this year that God is calling me and us to something deeper. And if you're a part of this church, I believe he's calling us to that something deeper, to seek him, to seek spiritual renewal in this world, but that means it begins with us. And I beg you to join me in that seeking of God. And I'm praying every morning that the Holy Spirit would fill all of us with a deep sense of our need for him and call us to seek him together as a body to cry out for God to bring spiritual renewal to us and to fill us with his Holy Spirit because the world needs a church that looks different. Do you long for that? Do you long to be different? Do you long for that something more that you were made for? It's Jesus. It's available to you right now. Go find it in him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning that you are a God who loves every creature in the world. Every human being is created in your image. Every human being is your precious creation and you long for us to be reconciled to you. You long for us to be right with you and you long for us to be people that uh, reveal and manifest your rightness, your righteousness, your justice to the world around us that we would be vessels of your righteousness to the world. Father, we lament and we confess our, not just our need of it, our lack of it, but, but our, almost our ambivalence and our ignorance of our own lack, our own apathy over, over our lack of righteousness, over our need of righteousness. Would you call us back, Lord? Would you call us deeper into relationship with you and help us, I pray, to to feel our need, feel our lack, feel our poverty and to call out to you, to seek you together, to to carve out individual times in our lives and and to carve out uh, times together where as a church we can come together and cry out for spiritual renewal for our lives and for your world. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Dear ones, uh, this time I wanna invite you to a time of response to God's word. Um, This can look different. Uh, depending on um, who you are and your relationship to the church. If you're a member or regular attender, I would encourage you possibly to head over to the Give page on our website where you can participate with us in the vision and mission of this church. Our vision is to see a city made new by the gospel spiritually, socially, and culturally. Our whole vision is all about renewal, spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. So participate with us in that vision, and please don't feel any obligation to give beyond your means, or even if at all, if it's beyond you right now. And especially if you are a, a, a guest or a visitor, we want to invite you, please, to remain our guest and our visitor, not feel any obligation to give financially. Instead, we would invite you to ponder and meditate, what is God saying to you this morning? Is he calling out? Is he reaching out? Is he breaking through and touching something inside of you and and calling you to a deeper relationship with himself? We invite you this morning to ponder that. The band is gonna play some music for us. 
I want to invite you to use this time to respond to the gospel. Let me pray for us, and then we'll share this time together. Abba, we thank you for these gifts and these offerings. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your good gifts, O Father of lights. We pray this morning that you would multiply our gifts, our offerings, that you would multiply our prayers, that you would... um, multiply the longings in our heart all to the end that you would be glorified in this world and that people would come to see and know and find healing and renewal in Jesus Christ. For we pray all of these things in his name, amen.